Good morning, castaways, and welcome to Twists and Torches. My name is Cameron, and I am your host, and I will be flying solo today. Um, got a, a lot of things to talk about with this episode, so I'm very excited, and I'll do uh, a new segment. Uh, it's viewer questions sent in by listeners, which I'm very excited about. Um, so thank you for sending those in. If you have any additional questions you'd like to hear or, you know, my thoughts or input on anything, go ahead and either send us a message or a tweet at twists, the letter N torches on Twitter, um, or you can send a message on any of our podcast providers. All right. So here we are. Episode five. Uh, we are currently down to should be 13 castaways and it'll be 12 by the end of the episode. So we're going to start right out with the Uwa tribe who once again are returning from tribal council. It seems like almost every episode it's Uwa going to tribal. Uh, and spoiler alert, uh, they're going to go back. So Uwa, definitely the disaster tribe of the season so far. So a little bit concerned about them, uh, of course, uh, with the preview, just to jump ahead a little bit, uh, it looks like we will not be remaining in these tribes, which I think makes sense at this point. But we're going to start with Ua down to just Shan, Ricard, and Jeannie. And Jeannie here talks about how uh, she's glad that JD is gone and that she's with Shannon Ricard because that's who she wanted to be with all along, which I don't know if that tracks because uh, Brad seemed to be her best ally previous uh, to him being voted out. So that's a little bit of revisionist history there, Jeannie. We love you, but uh, I don't know if, if Ricard and, and Shan should be buying that. So they make a decision and, and I will admit we, we went... A little bit backwards with the advantages here. I understand that they have to show them somewhat, but they were pretty prominently featured again in this week's episode after a nice refreshing episode four where we didn't have that. So we have a lot of advantages again here, which I don't know how I feel about. Uh, I guess we'll we'll figure it out as we go through the episode. So Jeannie and Shannon Ricard come to the conclusion that, hey, uh, Brad's gone and he had that beware advantage. And we know that Xander has it for Yasa tribe. So let's see if we can find that advantage. So they're searching around Genie. We, we get an action shot of Genie searching by the water well. And she finds it. And immediately runs and seems very excited. She runs to Shannon Ricard and is telling them all about the advantage. Uh, just another example of the recurring theme this episode where uh, someone either finds an advantage or finds out some information, just immediately goes and tells multiple individuals. So I, I don't know if it's sloppy or if it's just kind of a style of play and almost like a culture around the season, but all three tribes are doing it and they don't necessarily communicate that that's the case. So I find that interesting that this keeps happening. So Jeannie runs to Ricard and Chan and they make a decision together to not open it. So Jeannie is the first person to find a beware advantage that says, hey, I'm going to go and put it down where I found it because that's what the rules say. So Jeannie says, nope, I'm cleaning my hands of this. Uh, we're, we're not going to do that. And uh, that seems to be the end of it. Similar to uh, maybe our, our good friend, Boston Rob, chucking a clue into a volcano. He says, nope, don't want any part of this. So Jeannie makes that decision um, but a little bit later we get, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Shan may be the first survivor to have their own theme music since coach, um, Shan's theme, which is a, you know, an orchestral version of her evil humming. She doesn't hum this episode or, or they don't show it but they play the theme as she's kind of doing something sneaky. So her and Ricard kind of decide, hey, like we should grab this thing. Um, and so Shan says, you know what? I don't need my vote uh, because I know I have this extra one. I know Ricard is on my side and I can give him the extra vote. And that way there's no way that I can be voted out. So Shan takes the advantage and opens it and I think replaces uh, what was inside the idol with her bracelet and leaves it in the same spot. So Jeannie, maybe if she passes the well or goes to the well, doesn't notice that there's, it seems to be flatter. Like there's still something in there, which I thought was interesting, but um, fairly obvious if Jeannie, because I guess the, 
the thinking is she doesn't want to open Pandora's box. So there's no way for her to open it and see without, you know, theoretically opening the box and taking the advantage. It's kind of like uh, Schrodinger's cat. It's uh, <laughs> Chantel's bracelet. Uh, so uh, that, that happens. They decide to take it out. So now Shan has lost her vote. And Shannon and Ricard uh, have come to the conclusion that we need to exchange or Shan needs to give the extra vote that she got from JD. So apparently it's transferable because she still has it and believes that it can be used, which means that in the rules of it, it's not like the game changers uh, steal a vote where it was not transferable. This one seems to be transferable, which is interesting. Um, so she goes ahead and gives that to Ricard. So now Ricard has that. So that's, you know, gone through the ringer. Multiple people have kind of, taking it, giving it back. And so they passed that. Uh, it's just kind of to, to cover their bases there, um, which, uh, which I thought was interesting. So a, a lot of advantage stuff in this first bit from Ua, um, which wasn't too surprising, but we have gotten a lot of Ua content about their personalities and how they relate to one another. And there's only three of them. And we've gotten a pretty good picture of each of them. So uh, not too worried about that. It's understandable that the editors would decide to use a good portion on this advantage here, especially given what happens later in the episode. All right. So next we're going to go over to the Luvu tribe. We actually get a little bit of Luvu again, uh, which is great, but uh, not, not very much this episode, but we do get to see them. So uh, the first bit we get is Sydney who once again is, is proving to be the, uh, the slightly arrogant, you know, Drew Christie Tyson apostle type saying that she's the provider, um, that she's uh, a girl and she's out catching fish, which I believe has definitely happened before Sydney. I don't think you're reinventing the wheel here. Uh, although it's more common to see shots of men uh, spear fishing on survivor. It, it definitely has happened. Uh, so Sydney is, you know, being Sydney, which is great. Uh, we get a, you know, a, sh- a couple shots of her spearing some fish and then bringing them back and getting very excited, uh, which is always cool. We get a little bit of the survival aspect as well as showcasing her personality. So I thought that was a good segment. The next thing we do is we go to Deshaun and Danny who seem to be established as a duo and Deshaun is saying, hey, I'm going back to the, the same old play. I think we should throw it. And Danny's like, oh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. And interestingly, they decide to invest a little of their trust in Nasir, who previously had kind of felt on the outs. And he even gives a confessional about how he's excited that, uh, that they are including him. Uh, and he's, you know, glad that that's happening. And he kind of talks a little bit about how he's felt like he's on the bottom and now he's not. And of course, they're still talking about blindsiding Erica for some reason, something about her calling out Sydney. Um, but Deshaun and Danny, I think, want to work with Sydney. So that is why they're going after Erica. But to throw a challenge, um, I'm not so sure. But it is a little bit concerning um, that they have not voted a single tribe member out because they really don't have a picture at all of who is on whose side, because until you go to that first tribal council, there's really no way of telling. Um, You can think that people are your allies all you want, but until you put a pen to parchment, it's impossible. So I I can see where they're coming from, but again, throwing a challenge is a little bit extreme. Um, And they uh, float the idea, or Danny floats the idea of, oh, all the men are being voted out. What if, uh, you know, we're going to be outnumbered at the merge? It's something that always comes up. I'm shocked that nobody's called Sydney the next Parvati. Uh, I can't believe that has not come out of their mouths because it happens seemingly every season. Um, but that is kind of where they're at thinking about throwing it. And they say, hey, if another man is gone, which of course we, the viewer, know JD has left, we should consider throwing it. But Nasir says, no, 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 no. We can't throw it. I don't, I don't want to lose that flint. So it is interesting. And I really didn't think this was going to come up, but I genuinely think that losing the flint may have been, may have impacted the strategy here because it's entirely possible that Nasir goes along instead of trying to convince them and says, Hey, um, you know, no harm, no foul. Really. There's the three of us. There's no way any of us are going home. We just need to pull one of the women who we don't really know where Heather stands. Um, haven't heard her talk much strategy. Haven't seen much of her at all, of course, but in particular, um, haven't heard her talk much strategy. So 
But assuming that they can pull at least one, uh, it would be pretty simple, straightforward to vote at Erica should they throw a challenge. And then they can kind of get people together, especially if it's five to one or four to two, then they really have a core group that they've established with a vote. So I understand where they're coming from, but Nasir brings up that point and Sean and Danny seem to back off. They say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Uh, it is really hard out here without a Flint. And we don't know, you know, how many days are between challenges or how long it's going to be. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's stick with that. Let's, let's try to win. So that is our Luvu content pretty much for the episode. Um, but we're going to shoot it over to Yasa, which was surprisingly quiet last episode, but we get some content from them, which is very exciting. Uh, we're going to get to catch up with Evie, Xander, Liana, and Tiffany, of course. And here's one of my favorite producer or editor bits um, of the week is while Xander and Evie are at the water well, Evie is saying, hey, um, did you bury that advantage? And Xander says, oh, you know, uh, it's in my bag, but it's it's pretty safe. I, I sleep on it. <laughs> and Evie's like, well, you know, I think you should, maybe you should bury it. It's uh, so it's, it's a good idea. You know, you never know. And he's like, oh yeah, I, I, I could do that. Uh, <laughs> maybe if uh, a butterfly had flown by and told him to bury it, he would have listened to one of his dead relatives. Uh, Xander. But while this is happening, they are cutting back and forth between Tiffany and Liana going in his bag and them at the well talking about how the advantage is in his bag. So not only do they find the beware advantage, which they probably already suspected because he said the phrase twice, but they also managed to find the extra vote that he has. So they essentially have all the information now. They know everything about Xander's advantages and all it took was one trip to the water well. And that is why future survivors that are maybe listening, you always bury your advantages and you only go and get them when you actually need them. You don't leave them in your bag because as scummy as it is, at least to me, or like as taboo as it is in normal society to go through people's belongings on survivor, it's fair game according to the rules. So, uh, you know, definitely be, be aware of that. And Xander makes kind of a rookie mistake here. A lot of, again, a lot of sloppy gameplay going on. And again, we're going to get some, uh, loose lip sync ships, uh, recurring theme. Every episode seems like somebody blabs too much. Although in this case they already knew, but Xander didn't know that. So uh, Xander decides, hey, uh, says to Evie, listen, I, I know you want to bring them in so we can kind of all be unified. But, uh, you know, what if we go to tribal? One person's going to be left out. And I think that should be Liana and Evie, who's aligned with Liana. Goes, oh, of course, Xander. Yeah, I, I'm definitely on board with you because she has Xander as kind of a backup alliance. And it's, it's funny because he says, let's let's trust Tiffany. I think we can trust Tiffany. Like, let me, let me confide in her. So it's pretty clear that Xander and Leon are on the opposite sides with Tiffany and Evie kind of in the middle and deciding based on their relationships. So he says, Hey, let me, uh, let me talk to Tiffany and says, he says, Hey, I found, found the idol. Tiffany goes what, today. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Today. <laughs> I mean, it was such a quick, like knee jerk reaction. I don't think he planned it out to, to lie that he just found it. I think maybe he would have said, Oh, I found it like a couple days ago. Um, but, uh, because he had the extra vote, uh, Tiffany is basically an anachronism and Tiffany realizes, Oh, he was not telling the truth about, uh, about when he found this and basically confronts him. And we get a series of shots and I hope somebody gifts some of these because there are several shots of Tiffany just like rolling her eyes. And I feel like it would be a pretty good reaction gift for a number of situations. You know, some kind of almost like that, um, the one of the guy at the baseball game, like clearly mansplaining and the girl looks like annoyed. I, that that strikes me as uh, what was happening in this in these series of images. So Tiffany's rolling her eyes. She's giving that attitude, which is hilarious. Uh, Tiffany's really developing into a real character. Um, I'm glad she stuck around as, as much as I, I don't appreciate her gameplay very much uh, as a character. I think she's hilarious. So yeah, well done editors on that bit as well. Um, one thing I will point out about kind of this, the last couple, uh, I guess these few segments is uh, this is kind of the, the big brother trope of the week because they, <laughs> 
they've pretty much been doing it every week is they use confessionals to explain the rules of how advantages work. So Jeannie has to do it. I know Brad did it a couple weeks ago, but it, it really takes away because confessionals on Survivor have always been a way to really hone in on what a character is thinking in terms of strategy, how they're feeling. Some of them are very emotional. Um, of course, there are some famous examples of very emotional confessionals, uh, whether it's about the game, whether it's about life, whether it's about outside the game. And we really, especially with a season with three tribes and it's shortened and there's 18 people, I feel like the confessionals really need to be utilized as character and strategy moments. And unfortunately, it does take away a little bit. I, I will say overall, the, the editors did a really good job of cramming everything into this episode uh, between the challenge, uh, giving a little bit of screen time to each tribe and the advantages that were found or used. Uh, they really did fit it all into the episode. But one thing that I think was lacking was definitely in the confessional department, particularly with that genie confessional, because it was right smack in the middle of the other UA strategy and social talk. And it just kind of, it was very jarring to me um, that she had to explain the rules of how something worked. I believe Shan kind of does it a little bit later as well. So uh, that's one disappointment. I understand you need to tell the audience and that's one way of storytelling for you to do it is in a confessional. It makes it really easy actually to tell that story instead of trying to splice together conversation but i definitely uh you know i understand they needed to do it i mean tiffany had to have xander's advantage explained to her again again this episode even though she already knew so yeah i uh not not a fan of those uh, i wish they'd go back to the more traditional confessionals and kind of save that rule stuff for for later but all right so now we're gonna head to the immunity challenge um, and before, just a preface, I think we may have the next great survivor challenge beast on our hands, listeners. Um, Nasir is absolutely going to slam this challenge. Uh, he did a great job last week avoiding the challenge throw. And this week he comes up big again. I I'm just going to spoil it, but I'm very impressed with Nasir. I called him a dark horse winner pick last week, but uh, it's possible he's being integrated more into the power players in his alliance. Uh, as we are going to see, he has an advantage now. And the way that he's been doing in these challenges, I'm very impressed. And I really like Nasir. He has grown on me probably more than any other player over the last couple episodes. So. Very happy to to see him do really well, but yeah, I think um, I think it's entirely possible we get a new uh, new challenge piece. So this immunity challenge, uh, it's actually probably the only one we've had this season that's not water based, um, which is interesting, especially because uh, Jeff highlights how hot it is, uh, and even in some of their like marketing material on social media, Survivor kind of uh, highlighted how hot it is, and Jeff talking to someone in a behind the scenes clip and was saying, listen, like I'm hydrating and eating all day. I can't imagine how these guys are feeling. So maybe this is the monster that, <laughs> that he's been alluding to. Personally, I think the monster might be that growl in Jeff's voice. That's really prominent this season. Um, but uh, here we are a uh, very hot day out in Fiji. He says, this is the hottest spot in Fiji maybe. And they're going to do a challenge right here. So once again, uh, I appreciate that. Yes, it is the obstacle course with multiple parts. And, but again, it's not a puzzle at the end. Uh, I think that they really have been emphasizing that too much in recent seasons. And it's nice to have a break. Um, a bit of a weird carnival game, though. Only two targets. Um, strange choice. I don't think we've ever had fewer than three targets um, in kind of a, a challenge like this. I know there was one in, I believe, Dave versus Goliath, where they had to launch them way out. Oh, it goes Island. Wendell uh, competed in it. Um, they had to launch it way out in the ocean. Um, there have been the, you know, the slingshot challenges with the bags of sand and the tiles. And, uh, but two targets, uh, definitely, definitely different. I don't recall that ever being the case before. Um, but that is what it's going to be at the end. Reward is a big tarp or the winner, um, which is a big deal, clearly, in this heat. Um, so before we get to the challenge itself, of course, we have to do the little the thing with the, uh, you know, the, the silly phrases, because it makes for good TV, right, Jeff? And uh, before this, Ricard and Shan hatch a plan to activate the idol, possibly, without Jeannie knowing. So Ricard explains to Jeannie, and this is where 
they really are running circles around her gameplay wise. Um, and I think you could say the same thing with JD and Brad before. I think that um, Ricard and Shan really have a grasp on this game. And I don't know whether that's been to, that's because they've been to tribal three times at this point, or just because they're very savvy people and very shrewd in general. Uh, but they really run circles around Jeannie here. And I believe they get her to believe this. Um, there's no reason to think that she doesn't believe them, that they're just going to say the phrase and see if anyone on Luvu has found the advantage. Cause obviously they know Xander has it from you say, uh, or Yasa. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. I did it again. So, but the interest, this kind of brings up an interesting thought is with these weird verbal advantages, and we're going to get another one and I'll talk about that. Um, I, I mean, I understand that they are told that when they, when it's activated, tree mail will let them know. Um, but how does saying the phrase not activate the other two idols just because they didn't open it? Like the, it was opened and they said the phrase because the only way you know the phrase is if it's been opened. So they, they had seen it theoretically or, or heard it when Brad had said it or something like that. Um, or, or when Jeannie opened it and then they had to put it back, but wouldn't it activate the idols anyway? Like, I, I really don't understand how that works. And kind of the verbal activation is, is a little bit silly to me. Um, not only silly, but just kind of, it doesn't really fit with the theme of how advantages generally work in Survivor. Uh, there have been activation conditions before that are physical and they make sense. Like heroes versus healers versus hustlers said that in one sentence and didn't mess up. Amazing. Um, they had a two piece idol uh, famously that Dr. Mike threw half in the fire uh, the, at the first Ben bomb, the final seven tribal. Um, and then there were the uh, edge of extinction idols where they had come back into the game with an idol split in two. There were a couple things in winners at war, like the extortion advantage where they had to have like a specific physical number of things, but verbally, uh, I don't really get how there's a real representation of that advantage and how it works. Like, for example, Brad, who fumbled the phrase and, and really butchered it a couple episodes ago, would that not have counted? Like, say someone from Luvu had found it, and so Xander, Brad, and the Luvu person had all said it. Would it not have counted because Brad didn't say the, the phrase close enough? Like, obviously, production wants people to find these idols because having zero idols in the game to three and the flip of a switch is, is very exciting to the average viewer, apparently. But I, I question how that really works. Like I know that they're notified again at tree mill, but I, I don't really get it. And I'll talk about the other verbal advantage in a bit, because I got a lot to say about that. So uh, we do get a really cool uh, sequence where Ricard kind of frames it as, uh, you know, he says, oh, she's vegan. So she's seeing broccoli everywhere. And then Shan says the broccoli thing, um, which they haven't really heard before because Brad said it wrong. And he said something about broccoli, but everything else was different. And then he purposely, uh, I, I'm assuming, says Xander's phrase wrong and asks him to kind of clarify. Xander repeats the phrase in the exact same intonation like exact same like if I, I bet if you played the three segments from the episodes on top of each other uh it would set, you wouldn't notice that there were three different Xander saying it because he says it the exact same way it's crazy and then out of nowhere as it seems like nobody from Luvu's found it, and Jeff's going to take us to the challenge Nasir jumps in my dark horse and says the phrase I'm as confused as a goat on AstroTurf. And I will say that these advantages are making me confused as a goat on AstroTurf. So I am with you on that one this year. So then we get a cool, I, I call it a Boston Rob flashback because of the winners at war fire token fake out thing, because that's the first time they really did it. So we get this flashback with the seer and he, he found it. Uh, he found the advantage and almost immediately he goes, Oh, I'm opening this. I'm taking it. And it's, it's really interesting uh, because he then gives a confessional. He says, my daughter is going to be so proud of me. And this was a very uh, emotional without being cheesy. Like it was really genuine. And he says, my daughter is going to be so proud of me that I found that she's going to be so happy. 
because she used to hide like an idol in my backyard for me to find. Um, I don't know if that was like a while ago or like right before he went on the show, but either way, um, really touching moment. And we get a little bit of that family man of Nasir, which I like to see um, in this particular case, you know, another great character moment with an advantage, which is a really great thing that the editors do here because it ties them together and doesn't just focus on the advantage because that's lame, uh, but instead uh, puts the two together which I really appreciated. So we get three idols. They're all now active. So we go from zero idols and two people who couldn't vote. I guess Nasir found it like earlier that day. So it wasn't very long for him to everyone can vote. And now there are these idols that are live. There's multiple extra votes. And again, I'm as confused as a goat on AstroTurf. I'm telling you, uh, it's it's a lot to keep track of. I, I think I need to have like a little chart. Even me who does a podcast, I have notes. I'm taking notes. I'm watching you know, I watch the episode more than once sometimes, and even I can't keep track of, of where everything is. I, I think I need to start keeping a chart. It's it's that wild. So can't even imagine how the casual fans feel. So uh, the challenge happens. Uh, it's not too surprising. Ua is just an absolute disaster. Um, and interestingly, Yasa, um, well, now that they have the ability to sit Tiffany out of this challenge, although I think she would have been fine on this one. There wasn't um, anything that she had struggled with, any similar elements from past challenges. And it was more like the challenges from the last episode. Um, so Yasa sits Tiffany. Uh, Luvu has to sit their entire tribe. So kind of glad there wasn't a reward challenge because that would have been an awkward scenario as discussed last week. Um, but Yasa is able to uh, pull out the win, the outright win, not just second place to, to be safe, but they win the challenge. So they're going to get that tarp, which is very nice, especially for a tribe that maybe um, is on an upswing because that'll just add to your momentum. So yes, is going to win the challenge. Um, and then it comes down to Luvu and Ua. So Nasir ended up knocking down that first target. And then they switched in Danny for a bit. He wasn't having any luck on the far target. So they put Nasir back in. Uh, Ua, it looked like uh, Ricard was shooting primarily for Ua. And there's this epic slow-mo that they seem to be doing in every episode. They do this slow-mo and, you know, like, they used to do like the music would swell, like when someone was about to win the challenge or land the last shot and then they'd miss it. And it would just be like kind of ironic because you're expecting them to hit it. And then they'd do the music again. And then the for the other tribe who would then win, um, they do a similar thing, but with the new slow-mo and I can almost hear the winners at war song over <laughs> like Ricard who's like covered in sweat and he, he launches the ball and it's in slow motion. It looks like it might hit the target. And then, uh, it goes right over it, and uh, Shan looks devastated. I just laughed out loud because they did this like epic slow mo, only for him to miss. It was hilarious. Uh, and then Nasir, the challenge beast, gets that other target and uh, saves Luvu from their first tribal. So Ua is going to lose again. They have to give up the flint, and also they're going to get someone from their tribe uh, sent to the summit island. Um, which they haven't really named. They just kind of say, oh, they're going on a journey to make a decision. They never call it anything. Um, but someone is going to go to this summit island and lose valuable time because there's only three people. So that's a, that's a pretty harsh punishment, a pretty harsh sentence for whoever gets sent. So Yasa decides to send Shan and then Liana volunteers from their tribe rather than sending someone from Luvu. So Liana is going to go with Shan. Uh, so all each of the tribes leaves and Shan and Liana go on their journey. So we get a little bit of a commercial break here. Um, and while we're doing it, um, I'd love to answer some of these listener questions that I've had um, come in over the last couple of weeks. And again, if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to send them in to me. I'm happy to answer them. So I'll go through about three or four, and then I'll finish them out at the end. So a uh, topic you'd like to cover on a future podcast. So one thing I've been thinking about is, especially with seasons coming to Netflix, and there's two new seasons coming to Netflix next month, which are great picks and I'm very excited about. Um, I'd love to do something on new Survivor fans during the pandemic, because the past 18 months, you know, we've been at home a lot and, and maybe bored. So people have gotten into new shows. I personally know several people who've gotten into Survivor during the pandemic. So we could talk about, talk to some of those people. Um, maybe talk about, uh, you know, the seasons coming to Netflix, the seasons that were on it, 
what other platforms they watch on. Um, I know that, uh, you know, they have Paramount Plus obviously has everything, uh, but some of the platforms are a little, little bit lackluster. Hulu, I think is missing like random episodes. Like I remember I watched Amazon on Hulu and the uh, peanut butter and chocolate episode was missing. And I was like, wait a minute, when did like, and then uh, I think Heidi went, uh, went home and I was like, wait, when did they skip the, 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 uh, the peanut butter and chocolate episode, but it, it was missing. Um, and then I know obviously Paramount plus has everything, but Netflix having two seasons right now, Kageyan and heroes versus villains. And then they're getting David versus Goliath and Micronesia reportedly next month, which is very exciting. And those are two great picks. David versus Goliath is definitely in my like starter guide for anyone who's starting survivor and Micronesia great season, even though it has returnees classic moments, of course. Um, so I'd love to do something with some newer fans and get, get their input and maybe talk about uh, how survivor can reach that wider audience. Uh, the other thing I'd like to do is rankings. I love rankings, although it's been done to death recently, uh, especially with, you know, not a lot of things going on. A lot of other content creators have covered season rankings, winter rankings, things like that. But I'd love to do something like that with a panel of experts and see if we can agree on anything. Favorite player of all time. That would be Tony. Um, he is super exciting. Uh, I love him to death. Uh, he just has this manic energy uh, running all over the jungle, uh, cracks me up, but also like a really great and aggressive player. Uh, very impressive how he manages to navigate the game despite his style and personality. Uh, how did you get into podcasting about Survivor? Well, uh, as I kind of have explained, I'm a lifelong Survivor fan. Uh, I've been watching since I was a kid. I've seen every season at least once, a lot of them multiple times. Um, I heard about uh, Anchor, which is the service that I use for hosting my podcast through Spotify. Um, Anchor essentially puts your podcast on multiple platforms at the same time, which is super helpful and convenient. Um, so I, I really like uh, podcasting with Anchor. So thank you to the Anchor people for making it easier, easy for a new content creator like me. So I thought it wouldn't be too difficult. I'd have some fun with it. Maybe talk with some of my friends on, on the podcast. And uh, so far I'm having a blast. So uh, thanks for listening. All right. So now we're going to get to the summit uh, right in the middle of the episode. And Shannon Liana uh, in Right away, they seem to be hitting it off. And I think Shan gives a confessional about how Liana was someone that she wanted to meet. Um, and Liana uh, seems to reciprocate as well. Uh, even though there's a pretty big age difference to the women, I think they they definitely share uh, with one another a lot of their personal life experience and they really bond. And Shan's confessional about how she's never had these conversations with Ricard and Jeannie uh, in you know their 10 days together, but talks about to Liana right away, it, I think is really telling. Um, and speaking of which we're on day 11, there's only 26 days. We're almost halfway through the physical days of the game, which is kind of insane. Um, they're really going to have to accelerate it. I know that oftentimes in the late jury, it's every day there's a tribal council, but yeah, definitely going to be very, very fast and someone going home almost every day from now on. Uh, but anyway, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they're talking game. Uh, Shan confides that Ricard is her number one, so don't trust him if I'm gone. Uh, Shan's a little bit, I think, nervous about Ricard and Jeannie back at camp and Ricard possibly flipping on her. And uh, Shan gives a, uh, a really, really nice confessional. Um, and it, again, it was a very emotional one. Uh, it was a great character moment about her mom. Um, and I really think that her personality shine shown through. And I think she's had a very big edit for several episodes. Now we're getting a lot of Shan as a character, uh, which I really like because I do feel like she's probably going far in the game based on what we've seen, but I don't appreciate the editors putting this like almost cheesy, like music over it. Um, I understand, you know, the shot of her and her mother makes sense, but um, when Shan's talking about how her life kind of took a dark turn and how she kind of turned it around, they're playing this like really kind of goofy music. Um, and I, it, it almost took away from it. Um, but I tried to kind of ignore it and just listen to what Shan was saying. Um, and she shares a lot of that with Liana, a lot of what she said in the confessional. Um, so not just strategy, but also personal. Um, so this is definitely an exception for the kind of the fallacy that I've been pointing out where a lot of players have been oversharing, especially on these summits. Uh, I think back to Evie basically telling, uh, to her whole game, but I think in this case, they really bonded and it's entirely possible that they, you know, go together uh, once they hit the merge and that they, they link up. So then they're going to plan on uh, Shan says, Hey, listen, uh, I got 
advantages. I don't know if she told them about her, but told her about them. But she definitely doesn't need another advantage and would definitely rather not risk her vote tonight now that she has it again. And so she says, hey, Liotta, listen, uh, thank you for listening to me. Uh, I think we're going to make great allies. I want you to have something, which I think is a really great move here, a really great decision from Shan, because you can only have so many advantages. Like, even if you have, like, six advantages in your pocket, you can only use, like, one at once, or some of them expire at certain times, and it's, it's just a lot. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Hey, new ally, uh, why don't you take this? So she says, I'm going to protect my vote. You can uh, risk your vote and you'll get an advantage. And that's exactly what happens. So one of the more boring of the logic games we've had, uh, we had a nice break last episode. And uh, yeah, so Liana is going to get an advantage. And here we go. Are you ready for this one? Because uh, it's a doozy. So Liana's advantage is called the knowledge is power advantage. And what it allows her to do is one time in the game, she can ask another player, do you have an idol or do you have an advantage? You can only ask one question. So I guess the word advantage does not cover idols. So it has to be an advantage. And if they cannot lie is what it says in the rules. And Liana read this out loud. And they then have to immediately hand over that advantage or idol to Liana. So, it's not just a steal and advantage. It's also an information gain um, because even if it misses, she now knows that person doesn't have that. So this is the other verbal advantage I was talking about. And I really, really hate this. I think it is really gimmicky and doesn't fit in at all with any advantage or idol survivor has ever had. There have been some out there stuff, extortion comes to mind, but at least those were all, they manifested themselves in a physical way that made sense and that was very clear. This is so hard to explain and to enforce. How do you, like, what happens if the player doesn't give it up? Like, who's going to step in? Or, like, what happens if they lie? Like, is a cameraman going to step in and say, hey, uh, you have to give it up? Or, like, I know Liana alluded to using it at Tribal. So, like, would Jeff kind of intervene in that situation? I really don't get this. I don't get how it fits. And it's also just so, it, it feels mean-spirited, like almost like idol nullifier level or even more because the person on her tribe with an advantage right now is Xander. And Xander just got his idol online. She knows he has it. She knows it's online. And she knows he also has an extra vote. So potentially she could just take this thing from Xander that he's been waiting for several episodes after Brad got voted out and he had to wait even longer. And it just seems really unfair. Uh, it seems like an unfair advantage. And the other thing, it, it doesn't even seem fair to the person who has it because, so can you just not ask that question in normal conversation? Like, do you have to like, is there like a code word where you have to preface by saying, I have this information as power advantage and then ask someone if they have an idol. So is she pro prohibited from asking anyone if they have an idol unless she's trying to play this? So it, it just, it's hard to enforce. The verbal stuff doesn't make a lot of sense. It's one of the changes I don't like about this season. And I hope that the producers take notes because people on Twitter, not happy about this one. Uh, so they're definitely in my camp here. But uh, Liana has this regardless. And I guess we're going to see what happens. I feel like a good amount of time was devoted to it. Um, just her reading the rules. So I feel like this does come up. I just feel uh, bad for Xander. Um, you know, again, how do they enforce this? And, and going back to the beware advantage, it's the same thing with how accurate do they have to be to the phrase? Um, is, can she ask in like another way? Can she phrase it differently so that it doesn't trigger this thing? And like, I know they have cameras on them 24 seven, but what if they miss a conversation? How can they enforce that? There's just so many caveats and so many strange scenarios that could come up with this that I just, I don't like it. Um, and I feel bad for Liana as well, as I feel like it's going to come up. Someone that people like is going to go home and everyone's going to hate Liana for it, even though it's not, you know, she's just playing the hand she's dealt. So uh, overall, you know, I'm trying not to rant too much on this, but it's bad. Um, let me know your thoughts. Tweet at me, message me at twists and 
torches, the letter N uh, on Twitter, uh, or send a message through podcast uh, or leave a comment. Uh, just, yeah, overall, uh, really unhappy with this advantage, but I'm curious to hear what everybody else thinks. All right, so that's the end of the summit segment, which was after immunity challenge. Um, so now we're going to get to our tribal council content. So we're going to go back to UA. Once again, they find themselves facing tribal. And uh, as uh, Shan is gone, Ricard and Jeannie have a conversation. And Ricard is very aggressive with Jeannie and saying, hey, like, listen, like, you got to vote for Shan. You're voting for Shan, right? You're not voting for me. You're voting for Shan. And Jeannie's like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And Jeannie's giving a confessional that her and Shan are voting Ricard and Ricard is giving a confessional that he's just stringing Jeannie along, maybe so she doesn't play her shot in the dark so that they can vote her out. So it's very clear that Ricard and Jeannie are on opposite sides of the spectrum here, opposite sides of the, uh, of the tribe. And Shan looks to be in the middle once again. So she is the power player of the tribe. Um, I think Ricard had kind of a conflict with Brad as well, and maybe even uh, JD. Uh, so Shan's kind of been the one steering it, and she's always taken Ricard's side. Um, I understand that they don't want her to play shot in the dark, but it seems like they're stringing her along a little bit unnecessarily here. Uh, Shan gets back and says, I need a one-on-one -on -one with everybody. And she's like, hey, Ricard, like, listen, we're good. Um, and then she goes to um, Jeannie and is like, Hey, um, yeah, we we can vote for Ricard. I'll vote for Ricard with you, uh, just to make her feel safe. Which uh, and and I do think I, I want to point out the overuse of the word blindside here. Uh, it's been getting worse and worse seemingly every season, um, but now they they seem to be referring to anyone being voted out as a blindside, which is not really the case because a lot of the times, uh, especially early on, you kind of know it's you. And I feel like Jeannie in the back of her head probably knows that it's her, and it's it's just kind of overkill. Uh, but then we get a conversation between Shannon and Ricard. And I think this was the most important bit of the episode because they showed almost like a full argument. Um, it, it seemed like there was very little editing. It had a great flow to it. So it felt like it was a real-time conversation that I was watching. And Shan is basically saying to Ricard, hey, uh, listen, uh, I know I gave you that extra vote, but I can vote now because the idol's active. So why don't you give me back the extra vote that uh, is rightfully mine because I stole it from JD. Um, so she says that to Ricard and Ricard's like uh, kind of wishy-washy. He's like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I should, should give it back. Um, and Shan's like, what do you mean? It's mine. You said you would give it back. He says, oh, right. But like now you're making me think like, oh, um, that you're going to vote me out with it. And Shan's like, what are you talking about? And then Ricard's kind of arguing with her too. Like, listen, like I, this is what I told you to tell JD. And then we voted JD out. So were you going to vote me out like you did JD? Um, and it just shows that this conversation and between this and what Shan kind of said uh, about not trusting him and, you know, bonding with Liana more, these two people do not trust each other at all. Like to the point where I guarantee you they're going to be voting, voting for each other at some point down the line. Um, because they, they don't trust each other. They're with each other because of circumstance, but I think they both realize that they're the gamers, at least on their tribe and, and maybe in the whole game. Um, they're the ones that are the big threat, each other. And this manifests here. And I think that Ricard was really nervous that Shan was going to get the jump on him and says, listen, no, because I'm keeping this so that you can't vote me out because then you lose it. Um, and Shan is kind of saying the same thing. Like if you vote, me out, then you lose the idol that I have. So they do not trust each other. Um, this duo is going to break up based on the the uh, the edit and just the way it's going. Um, I, I just don't see them sticking together for very long. It seems like it's very tense and they might try to find allies from other tribes moving forward. So it's interesting because the last time there were three people left on a tribe when no one had immunity. So obviously not counting the rare final two we have. I think the last one, Kageyan. Um, was Philippines. So that was the Russell Swan, Malcolm Freeberg, and Denise tribe. And that was a kind of a similar situation where it was a three tribes of six season, but they actually lost the first three as opposed to what happened here where they uh, at least had like a little bit of a break when Yasa lost. But here we are and nobody has immunity, but it's definitely a swing vote 
situation. Um, there's no doubt about it. Shan is not going home. Um, they try to cast a little bit of doubt, like, oh, maybe Ricard doesn't trust her, but I don't think Jeannie's ever voting for Shan. She's always voting Ricard. So the chances of any kind of tie scenario or Shan going home, almost none. So Shan is the swing vote here. And ultimately she decides that she's going to vote. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Jeannie out of the game. So Jeannie, you were my favorite character. I'm going to miss watching you on my TV. If you're listening to this somehow, Thank you for being an absolute gem this season. Um, I hope that, you know, either we get some kind of secret scenes or uh, maybe something from you at the reunion. Uh, but either way, Jeannie, thank you. Uh, you were great. Uh, I'm sad, so sad to see you go and uh, very disappointed overall. But the march of Ua towards this moment was somewhat inevitable. And uh, I understand why they did what they did. So again, tribal council, there were questions, uh, but it was fairly obvious that Shan was in power and Shan was going to be voting Jeannie out. Um, Jeff kind of alludes to, oh, maybe the merge is coming soon because, um, you know, this might be the last vote where there's no accountability for this person going. You can just vote them out and they won't have any say. Um, it does seem like they genuinely feel bad. And, you know, Jeannie says really good luck guys. And I think that these three really do care about each other. And it's just unfortunate that they didn't merge or swap before this. Um, and they really couldn't put a win together. So Jeannie unfortunately has to go. Uh, and that is that. So uh, two to one vote and goodbye Jeannie. So of course I'm a little bit sad. Uh, wanted to see more of her, but we got what we got. All right. So that is episode five wrapped up. We are now down to 12 castaways and I will do a little bit of swap speculation. Although the, it's interesting, the preview almost did its own swap speculation. So we're down to 12. So oftentimes in modern seasons, this is when we merge. We've even had a 13 person merge or two, but 12 kind of is the norm because you do nine jury members and three final tribal council seats. So what is going to happen next episode? Because the preview made it seem like Jeff was saying, drop your buffs. We are, and then points to them and they all say merged. And Jeff goes, not quite. So here's what I'm thinking. And this is, I think the only scenario that makes sense is it's two tribes of six or even two teams of six. It might be like a, hey, you're merged. You're living on the same beach, but you're still going to be split into two teams. And maybe... You know, you have to win a challenge to get immunity, or it could be a heroes versus villains situation where it's a reward challenge and both tribes go to tribal. Because of the abbreviated season, I think this is the one. I think we're going to get two tribes of six for one vote or two teams in the same tribe for the merge. Um, that I think is more likely just because they're trying to mix things up and merge seems to be at 12. So I think they're going to, and the not quite thing kind of tipped me off. So I think they're merging, but then they're going to split into these two teams. Both are going to compete in a challenge. The winner is going to get hot dogs or something or some kind of food. The loser gets nothing. And they also have to, um, they have to go to tribal first or something like that. And we're going to see what happens. It's going to be interesting, kind of three tribes, one of whom has never voted. Um, I feel like it might be an Ua and Yasa scramble for Luvu votes. And the Luvu people who don't trust each other, I think that's going to come out. But also we see we're going to lose some of the things that made this season this season um, between the Ua tribe being a disaster and the Flint twist. Uh, the beware thing is now wrapped up just at the right time. I think they definitely dropped that in the Sears lap just to get it to happen. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to get a double tribal next episode. Um, so in episode six, we're going to go down to 10. And that's going to be when we get the real merge gameplay, when it's 10 people voting. But I do think that these two will probably be jury members. I can't remember the last time we had a seven-person jury. So very likely we get a nine-person jury here. 
I do think uh, genuinely that there is a meta back coming just based on the preseason press. And I know they talked a little bit about the survival aspects and we get like a tiny glimpse every episode about how hard it is and the Flint kind of comes into play, but I can't see them marketing this and hyping it up so much unless we get something. Um, and I feel like unfortunately it will be a medevac of somebody because it just, it's just the way that it goes. And I just think that the conditions are really harsh but they haven't really manifested as part of the game yet. So we'll see what happens. So, uh, so far I've been appreciating and enjoying the season. Um, I kind of gave who I think my winner picks were uh, last episode. Um, I'm still high on Deshaun. I think Evie has a chance. I think Shan looks great. And I think Nasir is a dark horse. Um, so that really hasn't changed. Maybe Shan's a little bit higher now, but Overall, I'm excited to see where we go next with the merch. Um, it could be could be very good, uh, especially with people scrambling to put together some Luva votes. Like, where do these people stand? Who do they want to get rid of? Because oftentimes it's in a three-tribe kind of scenario. Sometimes the bigger group actually gets targeted, but in this case, they're even at 6-6. Six, six, so someone would have to flip, but I feel like someone could get pulled in. Um, I think the Liana and... Uh, and Shan connection could bring Ricard and Shan to the Yassa side, but who knows what Xander's going to do. I know Evie had kind of a connection with Deshaun or Danny, excuse me. So I guess we'll see, um, but I'm very excited to see what happens. All right. Uh, just a couple more questions uh, that I was asked. So most overrated and underrated survivor players. Ooh, this is a little, all right. I'll pick one of each. So, I will say I, I love her as a character, uh, but I think that Aubrey Bracco might be the most overrated, not that she's a bad player, but that people really hype her as a very, very good player. And I think uh, Edge of Extinction and even Game Changers exposed some of her game weakness. I think she was in really good position in Co-Wrong and it made her look great, especially with the edit. Um, but I think that she is just a little bit overrated. She's a good player. She's not an incredible player. So not that she's bad, but I think that some of the, I'm sorry, uh, internet fans of Aubrey. I know you're probably going to give me one star on this podcast just for saying this, even though you made it all the way to the end. Um, but that's how I feel. Underrated, it's Chris Doherty, and it's not even close. Um, I know that he wasn't really in the conversation for winners at war. You know, there's a lot of male winners, of course. I believe it was 26 to 14 or something like that. Um, or, uh, sorry, 25 to 14 when it aired. But uh, I just think he, he played a masterful gameplay. I love Vanuatu. I think that's underrated as well. Um, and he was just an absolute, he was a brilliant liar. He was a great social player. Um, I think he's uh, underrated and people should talk about him more. Obscure survivor fact you love. Oh, that's a good one. Let me think about that. And while I'm doing that, I'd like to give a special shout out to my sister, Lindsay, who was actually on the first or yes, the, the premiere recap with me. Uh, so hopefully she'll be back as well. I know, uh, you know, that was a, that was a good one. And uh, I'd like to give her a shout out. It is her birthday today. So happy birthday, Lindsay. And uh, well, today as of recording this, but it will be the day after uh, when this airs, uh, but happy birthday, Lindsay. Hope you have, hope you have a good one. And okay. So obscure survivor fact, uh, every Kagayan returnee, so everybody that's come back, I think there's been six or seven, have made final tribal council either on Kagayan the first season or afterward, or both uh, in the case of uh, one Tony Blacko. So uh, that's exciting. Uh, very, of course, it was a high caliber season and they picked people um, at the end who, oh, I'm sorry, actually. Well, okay, so they made the final three, but they haven't made final tribal. So, uh, sorry, Cass, I forgot about you. Uh, every Kagayan returnee has made the final three. Uh, it helps that, you know, it was like the final six of Kagayan pretty much that returned except for one. Uh, Trish, you got to bring her back, Survivor, because another Boston player, great player. I'd love to see her again. All right, so that's the all I have for questions. Again, feel free to send some more to me. Um, but I want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, give us a follow here on Spotify uh, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Uh, and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter if you'd like uh, for more content. And um, again, thanks so much for listening. And uh, see you next week.